Hi everyone, welcome to episode 18 of Lit Tea. I'm your host, Sabrina Watby, and my very special agent guest today is Melanie Figueroa from Root Literary, who represents children's literature and adult fiction. Hi. Hi. <laughs> How are you? Oh, good, good. It's um, been a pretty low-key weekend, so. Cool. Okay, so... My favorite thing to start with is, what book made you a reader? I have two answers for you. The first one, and I know our listeners cannot see it, but for your sake, I had to show you. I bought this copy of Curtis Sittenfeld's Prep in high school, and it's like falling apart. That has been read a lot. That book has been read multiple times. Mystery stains. I, you know, who knows? But, um, and... I bought this book thinking it was a YA book because, as you can tell, it kind of looks like a YA book. Like, it has this pink and green belt on the cover and the purple title. Um, And I just grabbed it off the shelf, and I think I started reading it while I was in the bookstore. And that was the answer that came to mind because I must have read it when I was 15, 14, something like that, which would have been the same age as... Lee, the protagonist, and I think it was just one of the first books that made me fell in w- fell in love with writing on like a line level. Like her prose is just so beautiful, and I remember like every line. I was it was just like sweeping me up in a way, right, with those emotions. And you know, Lee wants to go to boarding school. She's in high school. It it almost felt like. I had grown up reading a lot of fantasy and stuff like that. And in its way, it felt like a fantasy too, you know? Um, like the, the setting, everything felt like something I could never dream of. And um, just even the details of Lee, you know, knowing what other students were scholarship students because of what comforters they had on their bed and little details like that. And I grew up in Yorba Belinda, California, and I was raised by a single mom and I was not like I always felt like I was on the wrong side of the tracks and I like didn't belong and I it just resonated with me so much so I think it you know you know it made me feel seen and it just made me feel fall in love with writing on that line level with her prose um and then the other book or books that came to mind was when I was 14, I believe, uh, so it would have been like the summer between my freshman and sophomore year of high school, I had back surgery. And the books that helped me get through that were like everything V.C. Andrews. Okay. <laughs> so, so I think we all know Flowers in the Attic, which was definitely <laughs> where I started. Um, and that might be a surprising answer for some people, because as an agent, that's not what I really rep. <laughs> um <laughs> But that's valid looking at your wish list. Yeah, right. Like, it's not really what I rep. Um, But they're just so addicting and entertaining. And they're so, like, juicy. (laughs) And and I just remember being like, oh, my God, is she really writing about this? You know? (laughs) And just, like, and I just, I could burn through, like, two of those books a day. And so when you're recovering from back surgery, right, and just all you can really do is, like, lay in bed besides, like, the five minutes a day your doctor's forcing you to get out of bed to walk so you don't, you know, your muscles don't atrophy or Mm -hmm. whatever. Like, I, I just was addicted and I couldn't stop reading them. And so I think in two very different ways, one with VC Andrews being more on the like entertainment side of the spectrum and with prep by Curtis Sittenfeld being more like a book that like 
connects with you emotionally and just makes you feel seen like as a human they were both an escape Mm -hmm. and I mean I am very genre eclectic which I guess is evident with my two choices here but (laughs) (laughs) but but, um you know I just I love the escapism that both of those books gave me in very different ways and I remember that summer my um my mom told my grandmother that that was like what I had been reading and the thing that kind of had been occupying my time while I was recovering. And she went to like all the used bookstores in Tennessee where she was living at the time and picked up like every V.C. Andrew book she could find (laughs) and shoved them all in a box and sent me like a crate of V.C. Andrews books. (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. That's really sweet. Yeah. Yeah. So... Those would be my my two answers, yeah. When I broke my leg, I did a lot of reading as well because you you can't you can't do anything. You can kind of maybe shuffle from spot to spot, but you're pretty much just chilling. Yeah, you're kind of depending on how intense the surgery is. Yeah, you're kind of bound to your bed mm-hmm. or your chair or whatever, and um, you can only watch so many movies. I think before yeah. <laughs> before you're like, okay, I've seen it all. So yeah. I mean, and the medicine I was on, I was so tired all the time. And Mm -hmm. yeah, you just need a way to escape, different ways to escape. Yeah, exactly. Very informative summer. It is. Recovery is hard. And there's a lot. Mm -hmm. There's so much alone time with that, too. It's really, it is, it's tough. Yeah. So books were like everything Mm -hmm. to me that summer. And do you have a book that made you want to become an agent? Is it a cop-out to give you the same answer? No. (laughs) No. Honestly, I knew, like, well, okay. So I knew I wanted to be an agent after grad school. So I guess those books wouldn't necessarily have been the books that I, like, made me know I wanted to be an agent. But they certainly were the books that made me want to, like, like, just made me fall in love with reading even more. I'd always been a reader, even, you know, I read since I was, like, three or four. But I don't really, like, the books that I read pre-middle school, pre-high school, I don't remember like I read a lot of like the boxcar children books and stuff like that but I don't remember any of them being like formative like the ones that I just like latched onto and and became like part of my identity or (laughs) yeah you know um they're not ones you think about now or ones that you picked up 50 times through life yeah like I was I was just reading so much that they would have all they almost just like all blur together in my mind um so, but when I read Prep and then had that V.C. Andrews summer, <laughs> my summer of V.C. Andrews, um, I, I knew I wanted to work with books as a career if I could. Like, I wasn't sure what it looked like yet. Um, I don't even think I even knew what an agent was, honestly, when I had read those books. Um, but it definitely was a thing that made me want to pursue a career in book publishing and kind of informed all of my choices after that as far as what major I had in college, um, you know, what I studied, what internships and stuff like that that I pursued throughout grad school and undergrad too. So it really was the thing that propelled me and like sent me down that track. But if I'm thinking about books that I read in grad school, I guess I would say um, Celeste Ng's Everything I Never Told You. Mm. That's probably one of my like all-time like top 10 favorite books um I love Celeste Ng as an author um and I feel like a lot of her books I'm like I want that yes yes like I just love her (laughs) um but that book is 
I remember when I closed the book and like that last page just sobbing at my bed and it just, it was so beautiful and so real and I connected so much with it emotionally um, and it had like an interesting twist to it. Um, so I think that would probably be the book I would choose for, you know, becoming an agent. Okay. And then you said you knew pretty early on that you wanted a career in publishing. You weren't sure how. So yeah, what was your path towards becoming an agent and how did you go about that? And when did you discover specifically like agent is where it's at? I remember we took like book publishing 101. So you you really do learn all of the different facets and jobs. But when... um that class started, I think, day one. Our publishing director and the teacher of that class was like, if you came into this program because you wanted to like be a millionaire and make lots of money, you're, you're in the wrong place. <laughs> <laughs> Which was kind of funny. Um, and I'm deeply competitive. Um, so rather than seeing that as being discouraging, I was like, I'll show you. Like, <laughs> you know? I, I like took that as a challenge, which is very much not how she probably expected people to take it. <laughs> um, and so I was still kind of looking for, you know, cause I, I grew up in like very low income, you know, single mom. And I just didn't want to, um, I wanted to be able to support myself and take care of myself and like, just, you know, continue to reach for, for higher ceilings, so to say, um, and I took another class in that program about agenting, and it was actually taught by Fiona Kenschel, who works at Transatlantic Agency, I'm pretty sure now. Um, and Fiona used to be in the UK working as an editor, um, and so she really, you know, gave us some insights into agenting, and that's where it seemed more, like I could picture it more. It was more concrete and, like, tangible, um, and so we learned everything from like how to read a contract to like how commission structures work. And it just gave me more, a, a better sense of what I could do. And then I had mentors in grad school who were like, you know, you'd be a really good agent. <laughs> so I think um, when other people see things in you that you don't necessarily see yet, it starts to help you, you know, imagine what that life could look like for you. Um, so I think that's where the initial like spark of like, I, I want to be an agent. I still had no idea how to be an agent or how to get my foot in the door, but that's certainly where the like first sparks of that, like that's what you want to do started. Cool. Yeah. And then um, after grad school, I got a job as an editorial project manager in-house for a Southern California publisher that's part of a, a larger publisher all across the country. And they have um, a base in the UK too. And um it was an interesting crash course on just like what a publisher even does in-house. Um, I was working more on managing projects that other editors had acquired and kind of taking the, you know, they passed the baton to me and then I would kind of just see it through pr the production process and to publication. Um, and I worked a lot on licensed projects too. So I would do, I would work really, like we did a lot of uh, nonfiction books and a lot of them were art-based. So it's nothing like what I do now. Like I would work really closely with the art director. I would pour through like the Disney, Marvel, like Lucasfilm databases, see what upcoming IP they had, like what books can we make based off of that IP? Because 
when you work with licensed products, you have a very specific license. So ours was like art-based projects. Um, and that was kind of the, the, like the niche that we had the ability to use that license for. So a fun little trivia fact actually <laughs> is that while I was there, if you go on to like if you go to like Michael's or an art bookstore, I don't know if it would still be in stock there because it's been a while since this movie came out, or I guess maybe Amazon would probably have it, but there's a book called Learn to Draw Finding Dory. And I actually uh. wrote <laughs> that, I put in quotes, air quotes, I wrote um, that book because that's just the way we, we worked. We would like generate a lot of ideas in-house and it's so small potatoes to some extent that we're not going to go like hire a writer and they give us like a story Bible with very strict guidelines on like the story of Finding Dory. And so I kind of just like took that and like did a lot of heavy lifting to turn it into like how to draw Finding Dory with little like tidbits of the story. That is so cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to, okay, I actually need to go by Michael's again at some point. So <laughs> I'm going to stop and see if I can find it. And if I can find it, I'm going to send you a photo. <laughs> it might, I'm, I'm sure it's probably, I wonder if it might not be in the store actually anymore just because, yeah, it has been a few years since that movie came out. But you never know. You um, never know. Yeah, I'm sure you can find it online somewhere. <laughs> so That's awesome. That's really cool. Okay, so it sounded like, Aside from that, one of your roles there was also kind of just keeping everybody together per project and like making sure all the steps were being taken when they were supposed to to just get book to the finish line. Yeah, we would map out the book. I I would help select like the, the art that would go in the books with my art director. I worked really closely with our managing editor whose job is really to keep that everything moving along. Um, And so you know, routing stuff back to the the authors, you know, doing like the proofreading and kind of copy editing. Um, so a good crash course. But honestly, what I took away from that job more than anything else was like, okay, I know what this is now. I don't, this is not, I don't thrive. Like I'm not like, I'm not super fulfilled at the end of the day doing this work. Like I have okay. friends who would love to copy edit like every day. Like they, they love it so much. It's just not me. <laughs> So, okay. um, but I think that's a good lesson, right? Like you, when you're starting out in publishing, you really just like, you take the entry level jobs that you can get, you get that experience to put on your resume and it's not necessarily where you want to be forever, but it's a really good opportunity and, you know, crash course. So, yeah, it helps you get a lot of really, really good looks at other sides of, and other pieces of publishing too, which yeah. is so mysterious yeah so (laughs) and you can have a good sense of you know what you might be good at or what you might want to do but I think the reality for so many of us is that you just don't know until you do it Mm -hmm. um how you're really going to feel about it um and I've always been a like learn by doing type of person so maybe I wouldn't have learned that unless I had done it you know that's fair did you join Root after that? So after that, I left, I wasn't there like super long. I was probably there for a little bit over a year. And the other thing about that job is it also helped me realize like what kind of company I wanted to work for as far as the culture. Um, And so I left there and I, I really wanted to become an agent at that point. Like I was starting to feel like 
I wasn't necessarily ready to be an agent yet, but I was ready to be like an agency assistant. Like I, I needed to get like an entry level job at an agency. Um, so when I left there, I started freelancing because it felt like a way to stay in the publishing universe, <laughs> but to allow myself like the freedom and flexibility to keep applying for other jobs. And even in New York, right? Because when you're freelancing, like you can move anywhere. Um, and I had friends who lived in New York that I had met in grad school. And so I was just, you know, putting out feelers and applying to honestly, like any type of agency position I could find. And around, I want to say like a year, maybe two years, uh, like I was able to make a full-time salary off of freelancing, but it was a constant hustle. Um, and I was starting to get a little burned out on it. Um, and just kind of that feeling I think so many of us experience when we're like, when is it my time? Like, when am, when am I going to, you know, get that, that opportunity? Um, and around that time uh, that I was thinking about moving to New York, because the fact of the matter is, is that there are far fewer publishing opportunities in California, especially Southern California, um, that I was, I was ready to take that leap and just, you know, move to New York. Uh, that's when the first full-time agency assistant position opened up at Root Literary. So I applied and got that job. Yay. <laughs> and, here and it I worked am. out really well. Yes. And you haven't gone anywhere else either. Some people will intern or whatever, work at a couple of different places and you stayed at Root. I did. Yeah. I mean, prior to Root Literary, and I think this probably would have been when I was freelancing too, I did do reading internships for various agents. Oh, okay. But those are so different than working like in the office. You're, you're really just reading manuscripts that that agent might have requested and kind of sending them readers report. So it's very hands off in a sense and you don't get that like mm-hmm. FaceTime with the agent as much and that like mentorship that I think young agents. And you're not learning a ton. You're just reading. Exactly. I mean, you're learning editorial skills probably, but. Yeah, you're learning how to give people feedback, which is a very valuable skill, but you're not necessarily getting feedback about your work Mm -hmm. as much um, from the agent and just like that touch time to kind of ask the questions and things that will help you develop, you know, your own abilities. Um, So, you know, it was a nice experience, but it wasn't, I never had like an agency role prior to like a real agency mm-hmm. role prior to Root Literary. So yeah, and I stayed. I, I love this job. So cool. I love this agency. It seems like a really yeah. great agency. Yeah, it is. How did you work your way up to agent from there? What were your like, you said assistant? Yeah, I was the agency assistant. So at the time I wasn't I wasn't, you know, a lot of people when they get a first job at agencies, they're either an agency assistant or they directly assist a specific agent or maybe two agents, depending on where you're at. Um, And I guess to some extent I did do both, but my actual like job title was agency assistant. So for the agency, I did everything from like running our social media accounts um, to being the person who would like process checks when they came in and cut client checks. So kind of managing like the accounts for us. Um, And then bigger picture, I would do, um, especially more on the agent side, I would read a lot for Holly Root and Taylor Haggerty. So because neither of them had a direct assistant at the time, Um, the agency when I got hired was a little bit over a year old. So they were really 
kind of almost that like startup environment where it's all hands on deck. It's, you know, their hands were just as much in like the business of the agency as much as it was in their client list, right? And just like getting everything up and running. Um, and so I took a lot of that off their plate. Um, but again, they didn't have a direct assistant at the time. So I was in their slush pile reading for them, trying to find new clients for them. Um, yeah. And then as far as like my journey into agenting uh, specifically, what had happened that first year, I feel like my timeline was a little bit more fast tracked than is, is typical um, because that first year I had found several clients for each, uh, each of those agents, Holly and Taylor. I had been helping them put together their submission lists and writing their pitches, like the first, you know, first draft of their pitches, um, even like doing the first draft of edit letters for their clients um, to get them submission ready. You were doing a lot. Yes, I was. <laughs> you were doing a lot and you were doing like a lot of really big stuff. That's awesome. Yeah, it was another crash course, but on, you know, the agency side. And I and I do think to like for our listeners, I do think like that's a little bit rare that you would be doing that much. Again, the agency is only a year old. Like I was I was essentially at that time our only full-time employee that was like the support staff and not actually an agent. Um and so because of that, I I think I got opportunities that I might not necessarily have in other agencies and was able to just like look at, you know, the landscape and be like, hmm, what do I want to do today? Like, you know, and just Part like, of that was probably, I mean, you were helping them find clients, so. Yeah. And I think probably going to grad school, while I don't think it's the right choice maybe for everybody, I think because I had such a generalist skill set like the the grad program I went to we learned every single department like what you do we we did we did like have homework assignments where we were drafting edit letters and and the students there run a nonprofit press with books that are actually in bookstores so because of that like I think I wasn't new to publishing like I wasn't I didn't need to learn about publishing and what it looked like behind the scenes and also working in house as an editor right so I think I just was able to like hit the ground running in a way that someone who if that was my first publishing job it wouldn't have been possible I don't think yeah so about a you know after about a year of doing that I remember distinctly um I think I was you know about to start hitting my 30s and I think when you're in you know when you're at that moment in your life you're kind of like what comes next for me like I you know like where where am I going with this career and so I I think Taylor was out of the office that day and I was alone with Holly and I was I was just asking her like hey can we talk about what that agent track looks like for me you know when I might be able to start pursuing clients of my own like no pressure <laughs> but <laughs> But like, I just want to know, I always like to know, like, I'm very strategic. I just want to know like what milestones I need to hit and like what path I'm on. So it was more just like, can you help me prepare? But she surprised me because she, I thought her response was going to be like, oh yeah, this is what the next couple of years look like for you. And instead she was like, to be honest, I kind of feel like I'm holding you back and just like start looking like you're you're in our slush you know you're like Taylor and Holly shared their their slush with me I had access to the like general agency inbox which is just like if people didn't know what agent it was a you know good fit for they could just query the entire agency 
Um, and so she was just like, whenever you see something that you really want to run with, like we can just start having that conversation. And if we need to hire someone else so that you have the bandwidth to start doing that, like that's what we'll do. Like we'll just keep that line of communication open. That's awesome. Yeah, it was, it was I was like, oh, okay, we're doing this. Um, <laughs> but I, right now. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, like I said, I, I think... Root Literary is a boutique agency. I, I don't know that not every boss is Holly Root. <laughs> I, I, um, I do realize that I think I have been given opportunities that I, I feel really privileged to have been given because I don't know that that path, I, well, I know that that path doesn't look the same for everybody. So, so that's kind of how that started. That's really cool. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. I'm so glad it did. It seems to be working out really well. Yeah. So we've been talking about Root, so let's jump Mm -hmm. into Root stuff. And you said it's a boutique agency, and you obviously love working there. How collaborative are y'all as a team? Like, how often do you pass things to each other? Um, How often do you talk about submissions, that kind of thing? Yeah, we're very collaborative, I would say. Like, I never, I, I know that I just from tangentially from like talking to other younger agents, like I know sometimes there's a feeling like you're very siloed and isolated. And I've never felt that way at Root Literary. Um, so we do share submissions back and forth. I mean, I think that's also what helped me build my list maybe quicker is because Holly and Taylor did share a lot of their submissions with me. I, I, in the beginning, I actually have, I have a couple clients that I represent with Taylor. Um, so, which I think is a great way to be mentored when you're, you know, starting to build your list. Mm-hmm. So definitely share a lot. Um, and to this day, we're all kind of, if, I think, you know, if you just need a f- set of fresh eyes on something, like we will share submission lists and pitches with our colleagues just to get their two cents. Um, we have a agency Slack um, where we're just always talking about the industry, sharing like, oh, hey, this editor moved to this imprint. Oh, cool. Or here's their updated wish list. I just did a call with them, um, you know, in case anyone else has something that's a good fit for that editor. And we have some other like agency-wide systems and tools that have also helped us like just turn the volume up on that a little bit, like our editor database and our contract database and the editor database also has those wish lists um, shared so you can really target submissions really good. So yeah, really collaborative. And then I recently um, we actually started doing like weekly kind of agent huddles. Um, so at the beginning of every week, typically we'll meet um, and it's just a really good time for agents to get that continued mentorship and development and, and training and just to hear what your colleagues might be doing behind the scenes, what challenges they might be encountering. Um, so everything from like how to work with your client on some specific, you know, sticking point or project um, to like how to like the art of deal making, you know, so I think we're pretty collaborative. Yeah. Are y'all in a central office right now? Like are y'all working from it currently? No, we did have an office in downtown Los Angeles. And so I think that's also another reason why the shift to remote working was a little bit easier for me to transition to because my first two to maybe three years um, were in the office and I worked, I worked like we had, a you know, we're a small team. So I worked probably like five feet away from like Dan and Holly. Like I could hear all of their phone calls and there was like, you know, there wasn't like, it was an open office. Um, yeah. 
So I learned, you know, how they talk to editors and how they talk to their clients. And if their clients were like in the area, they would come visit us. And so, yeah, we, we still technically do have that office. Our lease is about to end. So we're probably going to um, move to a another location and it's this it's the kind of office where like if you want to come it's it's there for you and there's a space for you to hang out and work um but at this point it's mainly Holly and her assistant who's also starting to build her list Alyssa um who are the only ones who really go in there like fairly consistently because we've all we've all kind of spread out and then we've grown since I started so we have three east coast agents um and they're obviously not going to be coming into the office every Driving day. Driving every day. Honestly, yeah. in traffic, yeah. like, I do a lot of working from home. It's, I, it, I'm with you. Yeah. <laughs> Although I was telling Holly, I, you know, I don't necessarily miss, well, I, I miss, like, the people. Like, I miss, like, being, like, going, walking together to go get lunch or things like that. So, yeah. but I don't necessarily miss, like, the, the constant distractions of being in an office because so much of the work that we do, like, you really need to, like, deep dive into something and, and just, like, stare at your computer while you think about, like, <laughs> something. And, and if you're, you know, if there's conversations in the background or whatever, sometimes it can be distracting and, and like, interrupt yeah. your focus. So that's what I don't miss at all working in an office but we're considering um doing you know maybe like once a year or so like agency like retreat kind of like a like a meetup so we can meet up in person because it's just kind of sad when you don't see the colleagues that you work with in person and like for for long stretches of time um so that's something I'm hopeful I can help with um getting up and running you know maybe this year so cool Okay, and you also have something called a client portal that locks us mere mortals out. You cannot look at it. (laughs) Yes, we do. Which is probably fair. Um, But what is that and how does that work and like what's... What's up? I'm curious about that. It's all like the Wizard of Oz. behind the secret door, yes. Yeah, no, the the history kind of behind that was when I started at the agency, Holly and Taylor, we we work with a lot of debut authors. So they had kind of created this this giant Word document that was like a debut publishing roadmap and would just help our debuts just learn like like what should I do when I'm on submission? Um, you know, once my book sells, like how long does it take to get the contract? What does that process look like? Um, when do I get paid? Like all of these questions that, you know, once you get the book deal, it's like, what comes next? Like everything that comes next, like when can I expect edits from my editor? Um, and so they had a sort of roadmap that was just a resource for those clients to peruse, you know, and, and, and learn more about what comes next. Um, so, but after I think like two or three years of me being there, uh, we realized that lots of us were at like answering questions from our authors that were we were seeing come up like again and again um which is totally fine but we were like why don't we why don't we write this down somewhere and it was just the the word document was getting unwieldy (laughs) it was getting getting very a lot you know um and so we were like okay well let's lean into like all of these really cool websites that exist now that are almost like um not blogs, but kind of like, like forums, like, 
you know, like almost like a help desk kind of situation, but not a help desk, right? Like a knowledge base. Um, it's really a knowledge base. So that's what we did. We, we found a company that would help, um, you know, people create their own knowledge base. And we essentially like tore the skeleton of that (laughs) word document apart and turned it into a password protected website. Um, and it's been, you know, expanded on quite a bit since then. And we've added quite a lot of new like articles, and sometimes our clients are even like, hey, I have this like video course on how to get school visits up and running. Do you guys want to share it with you know the rest of the clients? And we're like, fantastic. We'll throw that up in the portal. Um, so it's pretty robust. Um, and we're constantly, the goal is to just constantly update it. If an article gets a little outdated because things in publishing have changed since we wrote it, we'll refresh it. Um, and one of our new agency assistants, um, that's actually part of her role here is to keep an eye on that content and kind of flag when we need to do those updates and refreshes. So that's what that is. Um, I think it's just like what you said earlier about publishing being so mysterious. Um, we're very aware of that. (laughs) So, um, and because we have a lot of debuts, we just know that there's like so much that you don't know. Um, until, you know, you encounter it and there's so much information online about like how to query an agent, how to find agents, like the craft of writing, but there's not a ton of like public information on everything that comes next. Mm -hmm. Um, and so the goal was to really just like educate and empower our clients to, you know, make the best decisions for their career. So that sounds awesome. And you do, you have so many questions at all the different stages. So Every little step, I feel like each new question answered, I get 10 more. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Uh, Do you want to jump into some agenting questions? Sure. How are you doing on time? Are you okay? Oh, we're good. Yeah, we're good. We've been in here forever already. (laughs) (laughs) No, you're good. (laughs) I told you these get a little long. I'm so sorry. (laughs) No, you're fine. I don't have like anything like scheduled after this, so we're good. I don't either. I just have the puppy and she is taking a cute little nap down here, so. (laughs) Oh, speaking of, we did not talk about Oakley yet. (laughs) Hang on. We're going to pause on agent questions. Tell me about your puppy. Oh, I love him so much. He's my pandemic puppy. <laughs> Yay. I, um, yeah, when I moved in with my partner, um, we we're both dog people and, you know, we are stuck at home and the, the, um, building that I'm in that I live in, they have like two different dog parks in this complex oh, and nice. lots of like nice walking paths. And we had been trying to rescue a dog for a couple months and, Sadly, because we are in an apartment and like they have, you know, they're very strict, which I respect. So we were, we were always like falling in love with dogs and then losing them to people who probably had like a home and a yard. And despite the fact that I walk Oakley like five times a day and take him to the dog park, like it doesn't matter. I get it. Like you get put to the bottom of that wait list. So at some point we were like, okay, what breeds do we want? Like, we're just like, we can't rescue a dog until we have a home because we're just not going to, you know, be able to get the dog that we want. Um, and I was very aware that I wanted like a specific breed and like, I knew what I could handle. (laughs) 
Um, and I love labs. So we, yeah, we, we decided to look, um, there's a local breeder and we got our chocolate lab Oakley and he is the best. Um, he has like an old man grandpa face. Um, (laughs) and, and, um, he's almost two years old now. Um, yeah. And he's, he's the best boy. So cute. My girl, I got right before pandemic. And so I was able to, like, take her to training for a little bit. And, like, I got her when she was five and a half months. Mm. And, um, yeah, get some training in. And then pandemic. And, like, she's so attached and, like, does not know what to do if mom's not home. Yeah. Yeah, I think I, um, you know, when when he was a puppy, because of also being working from home at that point, mm-hmm. I used to read manuscripts like in my my desk chair or whatever, and I would put Oakley like on my chest, and so his Aww. head would be like resting on my shoulder, and I would like have my Kindle like like while I was reading with him like laying on my chest, um, and I'm a very like cuddly affectionate person, like I'm a big hugger and stuff like that. So, but it's hilarious because now I'm like, oh God, what did I do? Because he's so snuggly and he's like an 80 pound lap dog. And I'm and like, he's this like, is can my... I lay on your chest again? Yes. <laughs> and I'm like, this is my fault. I created a cuddly monster, but I also mm-hmm. love it. But he's like a yes. weight blanket. He is 80 pounds. He is a big boy. <laughs> They're hot. Jimmy's yes. about 55 and she is not on top of me, but she looked does like to get next to me. She, uh, she'll lay next to me. One of her favorite things to do is to tuck her nose under me. So she'll tuck it under my leg or under my back. <laughs> she tucks her little nose under. Mm. She loves blankets. She likes to be right there. And I usually end up waking up like on the edge of the bed because she's oh yeah right there. <laughs> yeah, we were supposed to crate train him. We were like, we're not gonna let him sleep on the bed. He's gonna have his bed. Nope. Like a few months nope. in, that we totally <laughs> threw that out the window. And so that was the other thing we did to ourselves because now, like, you know, I already have back problems, but now my back is like, I'm like, oh god, like I can't move because he makes me sleep in awkward positions. But I love him, yeah. so I just put up with it. <laughs> They, yeah, they're good cuddle bugs. They are really warm, though. Look, if I'm cold, we actually just went through, this is such a random, but we actually just went through that weird, awful winter storm here, Mm -hmm. and um, we lost power here for an entire week. Oh, my. It was awful, and it was cold, but I had the dog next to me, and I was actually, like, (laughs) hot in my, like, 30-degree house because I had my heater and all my blankets. (laughs) Aw. I was like, it's really not that bad in here, like, in the bed. (laughs) That's so funny. (laughs) Uh, Totally random. Sorry. No, no. (laughs) Okay, now do you for real want to get into some ADHD? Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Okay. Um, It sounds like you're pretty editorial just from your freelance work and your roles before. So do you focus on more like big picture or small picture or both when you work with a client? How there does a book need to be for you for you to pick it up from someone you've never worked with before? Yeah, I would say I'm pretty both like both in terms of big and small stuff. Um, Like if I see something small and I'm just like, well, I thought it so I'm going to flag it for you. I Mm -hmm. will. Um, Same. But 
Yeah. But for like, you know, my part, and I think most agents, the big picture stuff is typically what is more of the focus, I would say, just because like, you know, ideally we're going to sell the book. You're going to have an editor. They're going to Mm -hmm. like perhaps get into the weeds a bit more (laughs) with, with the edits. Um, and so we just need to have a, you know, a project that's there and strong enough that they can like see it, um, and have that vision. And for me, like that vision is honestly when I, when I like, okay, how do I know that I want to offer representation and go after this author and, and, and sign up this project is when I have a vision, when, you know, I do sign things that still need work and, and we're still going to do like maybe a big round of edits, maybe a couple big rounds of edits, and then a couple smaller like polishing rounds of edits where we're just kind of like tying up loose threads and, you know, dotting those eyes or what have you. <laughs> um, but when I have that vision and my my brain, I, I'm, I very much have one of those brains that like when I'm reading something and I'm excited and passionate about it, my brain starts like rapid firing, like making all these connections with like what if we did this and like you know if you shift this scene here or cut this scene it would allow you to like do x y and z so I I tend to and it, of course it's up to the author if if like whether or not my vision aligns with theirs which is something that we can talk over on the offer call and they can ask me questions about like what edits I would have in mind for them um but that's to me one of those like gut feelings and and like the thing that makes me be like, okay, like this is clearly you're already like thinking about this project. You're already thinking about how you would edit it and how you would position it to, to editors. Um, and that's, that's a good sign. That's what you hopefully probably want from your, your agent. (laughs) Yeah. But I don't, um, I don't line edit my client's work. Um, I feel like that's a skill that authors really need to have. And it's, you know, I think it's a balance because, while I am editorial, I don't actually think that that is where an agent is like of the most value to an author. Um, Like if all my time is being spent editing my client's work, then that means I'm not like on calls with edits, like making those contacts, working those connections. Um, It doesn't give me the bandwidth to focus on the things that I think an agent really excels at, which is like selling your work. And and, that's pretty important. Yeah. And like, you know, like working, like to have really strong pitches and to be, you know, reading new releases so that they have a good eye on like you know um the marketplace and what what's working and just that like market awareness and those negotiating skills that I think you know every agent needs to have to and just like the bandwidth to really advocate for their clients whether they're already under contract or not um because there are so many different things that I think an agent does behind the scenes. Um, so if you're, you know, again, if you're spending like a lot of your time editing your client's books, you don't necessarily have that time to do all that stuff. So I think it's a balance. Um, and I, and that's why it's so important for me to not just like go after and offer representation on something that I'm like, I like this, but I don't, I like it maybe as a reader but I don't have that larger vision for this project and that author's career. Okay. Cause then I just don't think I'm, you know, a value as much. So kind of piggybacking off of that because you, you do do a lot of editorial and you are big picture. Are there any 
bigger or smaller picture since you mentioned not doing a lot of line edits I'm, I'm imagining a lot on the line level mm-hmm. especially but are there any aspects that like you're like this is too big of a revision for me to take on even if I'm excited about it yeah I have done revise and resubmits before um which sometimes is like if something you feel like isn't quite there for me it's not actually like, it's not like a test, like I'm not testing that offer, but I think what it does for me and perhaps other agents is if I, I almost only do that when I really love the author's writing, like on a line level, I'm really connecting with their prose. I feel like their, their craft is there. Um, but maybe there's some larger things that, I'm either just not sure if the author is even like willing or wants to do that work because it would be perhaps a large change mm-hmm. um, or, you know, depending on where they're at in their career, like I just want to make sure that our visions align and that they quite frankly can like take that feedback on board. Um, because once you're already working with someone, right, like that's, that's a working relationship right now. Like I'm not going to just like abandon my client and not do that work with them. Um, so I think while it's not a test, I think it's a good way to like test the waters in a sense where you're just like, do you even like my edits? Like, do you even like my feedback? Does it resonate with you? And then when they resubmit that project, I think it's a good way for me to be like, you're really good at taking feedback on board and running running with it and really delivering a stronger project for having done all that work. So I have done that and, you know, I'm sure I'll do it again in the future. It's not something I do all the time, but when I really, you know, see potential in a project and feel like I really am connecting with this author's writing, I think it's a valid, you know, thing to do. It's, it's hard to be like, what's the line in between oh it's super hard it's yeah so hard because <laughs> I'm it feels like it's just like a case-by-case case thing like it could it could be something that the author would just have would not be expected to have awareness of like maybe maybe you just signed a couple things and you don't feel like you really have the bandwidth to take something on right now and because it needs a lot of work maybe it doesn't feel like something that you have the time to sign at this moment, but you know, if they can get it across that finish line, if they can put it, get it in a you know position where you feel like I can sell that project now, um, maybe that's the thing that, you know, pushes it over that finish line, um, when you do have the bandwidth. So sometimes it's just stuff like that, where like, I wouldn't like, how would an author know that, yeah. you know, where you're at, maybe you have a lot of client work on your plate at that point. Um, and it might just be easier to like hop on a call and be like, so this isn't like an offer yet, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I have some thoughts and if you can like run with this feedback and like, you know, resubmit to me, I think, you know, we could have something really special here. That's cool. That's really cool. Okay. You also mentioned earlier, about working on pitches do you help your clients with their pitches for submissions and or do you do them yourself or how does that work I do them myself um I think you know I mean I will help my authors like if we're working on something new um like the next book I will help Mm -hmm. them 
with like kind of the top level, almost like elevator pitches of just like, like, I think it's really important to have something high concept, something that you can pitch in like a sentence or two so that it's really easy for editors to like picture right away. Um, so I'll help them with that kind of stuff and, um, just going back and forth on like different ideas they might have floating around and which of those feels like the strongest and most like ready for the market right now. Um, but in terms of what I actually send to editors when I'm selling a book, I, I do send my own pitches and sometimes I'll take like the bones of the query letter or, you know, my client's initial pitch. And because every, you know, sometimes there's some really good lines in there that I'm like, Ooh, like I want to steal that (laughs) for my pitch. I feel like they're pretty similar, but also like a query letter to an agent and like a subletter to an editor, they're they're a little bit different structurally, I feel like. So that makes a lot of sense. And honestly, I you know, we finally figure out how to write a query letter to an agent. <laughs> like that's another we really don't know what goes in those specifically. So Yeah, and I think depending on, you know, an agent's relationship with an editor, we might know that they're really hungry for X, Y, and Z or that they love this one book. And if that truly feels like a great comp for this pitch, you know, this book that we're pitching, then there's, you know, I mean, the bulk of my pitch is probably pretty similar across the board to whatever editor, but there is some personalization that can apply there. And that, you know, like an author just wouldn't know that. Um, and some reframing of some certain things. Yeah. Just to like highlight aspects that might grab their attention that you might not have highlighted earlier, kind of. Yeah. And I think by and large, an author's pitch tends to be more you know, focused on character or plot. And it's not that those things aren't in my pitch because they definitely are. But I do think that like an agent's pitch typically tends to be a little bit more like salesy mm-hmm. and and like hitting those buzzwords that we know um, an editor's really going to pick up on. Um, so yeah. And I mean, every pitch, sometimes the pitch just like pours out of me, like first try it's like, it's, it's what it is. <laughs> um, and there's been other times where I've like, written a pitch and then been like it's just not good enough yet like and then I'll just I'll like start over (laughs) and yeah I'd write like five different versions before I you know stumble upon the one that I'm like there you go like that's it that's the one that's gonna get people really excited to open up the manuscript right away and you know assuming they actually have the time at that moment um and so yeah I feel like I work pretty hard on that um and I that's again that's where one of the places where I think your agent can be a value to you which is why like you know you do have to like it's such a balancing act with like even though I am editorial like making sure that I have the bandwidth to do those other things so do you like to read like partials for clients and help work through trouble spots as you go? Yeah, I do. Not every client needs that. I kind of try to be flexible to, you know, like I want to I want to be true to myself and the way that I do that I work well, but if, you know, my client needs a set of eyes on like the first 3 to 5 chapters because they're just kind of, you know, trying to hone the character's voice or beginnings of stories are especially hard they're real hard yeah so like (laughs) you know maybe the entry point doesn't feel like it's right yet um and so I try to do that work they're also really important they can inform so much of the rest of the story depending on what genre you're working in so if you mess those up you can end up 
doing weird stuff with the entire thing, I feel like. So. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, as I mentioned earlier, like, I work with a lot of debuts. And so I think, you know, when you're further along in your career, maybe you won't need that much help from your agent. Like, maybe, you know what I mean? Like, you kind of are in a groove. Like, you know what works best for you. But second books are like notoriously really hard um when you're already under contract and so I think I'm always trying to be like available to kind of weigh in and read a partial and give them a sense of like you know how it's working so far also one of the hardest things about starting a new project to me I feel like is you go from this shiny it's so ready it's so pretty you've had multiple people looking at it getting thumbs up all over the place and then you go to like they're not as pretty and polished it's hard to go from that and look at those next to each other yeah I feel like there's that quote I just like saw the other day about like like the first draft is always gonna be like the worst I'm like botching this quote but like it's gonna be the worst draft so like the silver lining there is like it's going to get better (laughs) yes yeah always get better from the first yes exactly yeah and that's totally (sighs) yeah um and I think you know it's hard I, I always encourage people to keep those early drafts close to their chest because of that. Because I do think if you share them too soon, it can be discouraging. And it's like, of course it's messy and not perfect because it's a first draft, right? Of course you got a lot of feedback on it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, of course you're not hearing like that it's like ready to go because it's a first draft and that's extremely rare for it to be in that position where it's like you're, you know, every little thing is pitch perfect. Um, so you know, I know everyone has their own process, of course, but I do think that's why it's really good to learn like the art of revision as an author, even before you're working with an editor or an agent. Revisions are tough. I feel like until you actually like do a big revision where you're actually changing a lot of stuff and not just nitpicking words and moving a paragraph here or there, like you, until you get in there and dig in there and do it, like Yep. They are. They're tough and they're a whole different beast. Yeah. And I know some authors will do like, I'm going to go through the draft and focus on the plot, like structure, the first pass that I'm going to go worry about the characters that I'm going to layer the world building. Mm -hmm. And I think that's personally like a really smart tactic because then you don't feel like I have to go into a manuscript and fix everything on the first pass. Um, But maybe that isn't some people's style. So I think like revision is just like a really good exercise because then you learn like what your style is and like how, what's your plan of attack when you Mm -hmm. go into a revision and what really works for you. Mm -hmm. Yes. Even for me, I tend to tackle everything kind of at once if I can. Yeah. But the rounds take me longer too than just focusing on one thing or another. But I'm a very consecutive writer and like it's really important to me like every single sentence that comes before like really informs the rest of the story to me. So if I am messing those things up, then it will mess other things up later. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And some people, like I have authors who are, they call themselves like recursive writers. So like they're always like going back to the previous pages and reading them while they like revise the next section. Mm-hmm. And But again, like that doesn't work for everybody. So I think some people do revise as they go, even in the drafting stage. And so I just think that's where like the practice, like, comes in in handy because it really it's so yeah figuring out your method yes the method to your madness right yes (laughs) yes (laughs) yes 
exactly. I love talking to people about their different writing processes. It's so fun. I love comparing and contrasting mm-hmm. with all my friends and how different we are. And then at the end of the day, you still get a book with lovely characters and arcs, and they're all very different, but yeah, they're words with sentences. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it doesn't even matter, like, how do you get there, right? It's just you just got to get there. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, do you want to jump into some querying questions? Yep. Yeah. All right, this is one of the most mind-boggling and fun ones for me. About how many queries do you get a month? I'd say, like, this year, there's been a couple months, I know we're in April now, um, where I've been getting around, like, 600 queries a month. Mm-hmm. Not every month, but the, that's, like, kind of, like, you know... Like, I think January I got that. I think this month I got that. Um, but on average, I would say, like, the, the months where it's a little bit leaner than that, it's, it's maybe, like, anywhere from, like, three to 600 queries. You say that like that's a lot smaller. I mean, I guess in the grand scheme of them it is, but, like, that's still a lot. Wow. Yeah, it is. <laughs> and I and I do read all my queries myself. Um, I mean, we do have an agency assistant who will sometimes go in there and like flag things for me just because we're talking a lot and she knows like what I'm looking for and like what my taste is. Um, but she's not the person like actually communicating with authors. She's just like going in there. And, and she's not sending rejections out before you've looked at anything. No. Yet. Okay. No, exactly. So I'm still the person who ultimately is like the decider, so to say. <laughs> um, but she is there for support. Um, she's not my direct assistant, but she's there for, you know, when I need that helping hand. Um, especially because I want to say in January, I think when we opened, the agency came back from the holidays, we did kind of change our submission policy so that you're now um, being asked to only query one agent at a time versus what I think our former policy was, where it was like just you know, free for all (laughs) there, Uh, which I think worked fine for us when it was like me or, you know, just reading everyone's queries. Um, And it was like Molly O'Neill, Holly Root, Taylor Haggerty, and I had a strong sense of all of their taste and I was, you know, helping there. But as you grow and there is some overlap between our lists, Mm -hmm. it's just, it became harder to manage that. Um, so now that's our new submission policy. Um, and a lot of us are on query manager now too. So yeah, it's, it's nice to have that support when I need it, but I do read all my queries myself. What were your numbers like when it was just a free for all? Like <laughs> They were actually lower, but I, that's so interesting. Not like substantially lower though. Okay. I mean, I think this is the first year that I've been in that like six, 700 queries, some, t- some months where it's a lot higher, um, I feel like that started to happen this year, if I'm remembering right. Um, okay. But I think they were like maybe like three, four hundred queries a month okay. last year. Last year was my first year on Query Manager, so it's it, it like it's hard to say because I went before that I was using our shared like Gmail submission inbox, and it was just as you can imagine like harder to like like if I really wanted to, I could go dig through. <laughs> the archives and like give you like a statistic um but I I never you know in query manager they have like a little kind of like dashboard that really gives you those right away so you can see a good snapshot of that much more easily okay um and of the of those seven million queries you get a lot (laughs) 700 y'all it's not that dire about how many of those do you request and do you typically request a partial or a full I always request a full 
And honestly, that's just because I feel like if I was excited enough to request more pages, then I I don't, like if I want to just keep reading the full manuscript, I don't want to have to like wait for someone to send me the full. If someone's asleep or on vacation or something, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm like, I want it now. <laughs> so, yeah. And so like, you know, for me, I'm just, I'm just going to request the full. Um, but that's, it's a good question, but it's really hard to answer because, yeah, because every, every month is different. Um, because while I could like go look at how many things I offered like last year, for instance, and then like divide it by 12 and give you some like monthly average, like it would just be an average. And I think it would actually be really inaccurate as far as like the, the ebbs and flow. Um, and I'm not requesting, so not to give you like a non-answer. You can, it's okay. <laughs> I'm like, not to give you a non-answer, but to give you a non-answer. Um, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not requesting or offering to like hit a quota. Like I have, like, I'm not like, I have to offer on X amount of projects per month, or I have to sign X amount of projects per year. That's just, I, I'm not sure, like maybe some other agents do operate that way for me. It's like, I do have financial goals, of course. Um, but as your list grows, I think there are just a lot of other factors beyond how much I'm signing up or how much I'm offering on, um, like what my existing clients are working on, because some of my clients are working in different lines of business. You know, they might have a middle grade book and then they might be working on an adult book behind the scenes. So it's, you know, I'm aware of that and my bandwidth in that sense with existing client works um or even just like as your list grows and the longer you're agenting you might have like royalty money coming in which is some passive income off of you know like past sales so it kind of it's providing you a passive income stream that might you know change your financial goals in some sense and how much new stuff you do need to sign up so there's stuff like that so for me it's more like you know, I do have a sense of like, I am still actively building my list right now for, you know, for instance. So I, I am very much still signing stuff. Um, but it's more like I offer when I feel really passionate about an author's work, when I have that vision, when I know how to sell it, um, which is super important. It's pretty important. Yeah, it might be the top one there. Like, it can't just be like, oh, I love this. But like, I don't know how to pitch it. I don't know how to to position it in a way that gets that editor buy-in. Um, like I have to know how to sell it. Um, and you know, the things that I'm going to kind of lean on in my pitch, um, and what editors are looking for and whether this is indeed what I feel like my contacts are looking for. Um, and then I just have to, on top of all that stuff, just be like, excited and and like ready and willing to invest that time in an author's career and in this project and for me like I I always say like I sign people not projects so yes I'm signing you of course like for a specific project to be clear um but like I also like and like you're someone I want to work with like whether like hopefully we sell this project like that's always the hope but if we don't like I am not the kind of agent who's going to just drop that client I'm going to keep working with them I'm going to 
ideally on that offer call and afterwards we're talking about like what do you have going on next like what other what other spaces do you want to be in like what vision do you have for your career and hopefully we're on the same page and that's something that I'm going to help them like refine and work on whether that project sells or not so it's a lot of like investing my time and believing in someone and um so for me like those are some of the like factors that are going into a decision of whether to offer on something um and so like I think for most agents like I I do let go of projects that I know are good and I know some there's like a market for this and I know that someone else is going to swoop it up and like be this client's best advocate but sometimes I don't always feel like that's me so sometimes you just have to like let things go that's so interesting because i i know from the author side that those are really hard yes um those passes are really hard but like it's not something i think (laughs) i have no sympathy for (laughs) y'all it's not something i thought about that that might be hard for the agent as well it is because like we're all like i think if you're an agent you're probably competitive and so Mm -hmm. I think that's a good thing that your agent's competitive. I kind of hope that you're competitive. Right. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's a good thing for your agent to be competitive, but I think competitive people, you know, you have to be honest with yourself about whether you're making a choice because it's right for you and for that author or whether it's because your competitive nature. You want to win. Yeah. Like your claws are coming out. Right. And like, <laughs> and I. I never want to be in a place where I feel like I've stretched myself so thin that I am not doing right by my clients and there for them to support them in the way that they need. And I don't think that will lead to either of us producing our best work. That's fair. And that's a smart way to look at it too. And also just like there's the other stuff where like, does this even make sense for my list? Like, like I, I am pretty genre eclectic. So if I get something that's like, you know, this is really good, but I, I don't know if I want to be in the like, I don't know, this is not a good example because I don't really rep this, but like the, the military government thriller space, like, like I could be like, I could really love that book. But if I'm like, I don't know that I want to like build a reputation and like be in that space long term. And so despite my love for this book, maybe it'd be better for this author to get an agent who really does want to be in that space for a long time. And, and, and you know have those connections so the content of a book is going to really depend on which editors you go to too so if it's not a lane you're usually in like you have to figure out where that lane is yeah it's almost like reinventing the wheel on the agent side and feeling like you're like starting like ideally the longer you agent the more contacts you have in any given space that you're working on that you can just continue to reach out to so if it's like some space and sometimes that is like um like it makes sense if your your list is growing and you want to pursue a new space that you maybe haven't done a ton in before, but it's something that you're looking to break out into more, then sure, like that, you know, that makes a ton of sense, but that's not always the case. And so that's kind of something else that I'm thinking about too. So when you're reading through your 700 queries a month, <laughs> do, you, do you start with the query letter? Yes, I do. And honestly, the way I read queries now has probably changed a bit since when I started agenting or when I was assisting even because I felt like I read every sentence like to the very end, like start to finish when I was assisting and started agenting because it's it's just, you know, the more experience you have, I think 
it's easier and you're, you're quicker at being able to be like, is that a me thing? Do I, is that something I think I, I want to work on? Is that, does that fill a gap in my list? Is that, you know, whatever, do X, Y, and Z. I think just with experience that comes. Um, so I do read, I do start with the query letters. Um, I'm not really like I do ask for a synopsis, but to be honest, I'm not really a synopsis agent. Like I have colleagues who very much are, and they will read that like pretty quickly and potentially even read the synopsis before they request the manuscript. I tend to read the synopsis more. It's not that I don't ever read it before requesting, but it's more typical that I would read it after requesting. And that's more like if I'm getting further and further into a manuscript and I have the pitch, but maybe I'm not seeing some of those plot beats or things that were mentioned in the pitch appearing yet in the manuscript, then I think the synopsis for me is more of a like a roadmap and helps me, you know, be like, okay, where's the story heading? You know, what beats are we hitting? What's the structure look like? Um, and then I can go to the synopsis and kind of be like, oh, okay, so that's kind of the direction we're going in. Um, just because I, I tend to be like, you know, as pure as an agent possibly can be while reading a book. And I I want to be surprised. And so a synopsis kind of ruins the surprise. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's a nice reference when I need it. That's fair. A pitch is, you know set certain expectations and then once you're reading the actual execution is perhaps not what you imagined it to be and so I think a synopsis can help kind of reframe things and be that reference point that roadmap that you go back to for better or worse um so yeah aside from like genre misfires and stuff are there anything in a broader sense that makes you stop reading like a sample page or not carry on with a book I think one is that sometimes when I'm reading the sample pages, they feel overwritten. And I know that that's a really vague term that agents and editors, I feel like, throw around a lot. That's like, what like what does that mean? Um, <laughs> um, and I'm sure it means something else, to be honest, for every person who uses that word. It's like a very ambiguous phrase. But for me, it sometimes means that an author is really bogged down in the like minutia and the details in a way that keeps the narrative from flowing Mm -hmm. um and so it could be everything from like and I think some of this is to some extent stuff that authors who are earlier in their careers do and it's just part of like the growing pains from a craft standpoint like um you know everything from like if the if the story starts with someone waking up like the descriptions of them like turning off the alarm clock, like reaching for the glass of water, like, you know, the very, like, again, getting into like the, the, the weeds a little bit of like, even just like action and movement in a scene in a way that I think if this was like a screenplay or a more visual medium, those like cues would perhaps, you know, work better. But I think in in prose, it just it it keeps the narrative from flowing. Um, and so again, I think sometimes that's perhaps like an early career thing that I think a lot of people get better at as they go. But for me, that might be you know one way of describing something that feels overwritten. Um, and then I think the other thing that came to mind was there are many times when I read a like the query letter, and I'm really excited to read the sample pages because. There's just a lot of like things in the pitch that for me are exciting and, you know, think something that I'm looking for. 
and then the execution just doesn't feel there in the sample pages. Um, but when I mean there, I mean more like perhaps it reads like a first draft, which doesn't mean it can't get there. It, it almost feels like it's just a little too early for me to have seen the sample pages. And so that could mean like finding a good critique group or other authors that you feel comfortable having like be a beta reader or going back to what we were talking about earlier with like learning those revision and editorial skills. I really don't think authors should be sending their first draft out on queries. Um, I agree. Like there, you know, there are exceptions, I'm sure, to every rule. Like maybe like it's just like, I don't know, like the gods were like <laughs> speaking to you and like it was like flowing through you. And <laughs> But for purposes of this podcast, let's go with none of us are the exceptions yet and let's yes. at least do a solid read through and yes. like look again and make sure you're yes. real happy with it. Exactly. <laughs> I think that those are probably very rare um, and most people are, you know, that's not like, like you said, those are the exception to the rule. Um, and I think for the most part, yeah, you should not be sharing your first draft or maybe even your second draft with, um, agents when you're querying. Um, it's just not doing yourself, like it's doing yourself a disservice really. Um, because the truth is, is like, you could have just been like one or two revisions away from turning that, you know, rejection into a full request. Because obviously if I read the sample pages, I was really excited by your premise, um, which to me, like, I think should actually be encouraging because that means you have a good eye for concept and your your premise is there. It just means you got to, like, refine your pages a little bit more. And I think another, like, for, as an agent, like, the thing that I sometimes see in those those sample pages that feels to me like it is a first draft is, is to some extent voice, but I don't mean me as, like, an individual not connecting with your voice. I mean sensing that you as the author don't know who your characters are yet I think that's fair right like I it's not like I don't like your voice I think that's fair for my own work actually <laughs> yeah that yeah. well that's what I was talking about that's actually literally what I meant when we were talking earlier about going from a perfect like finished draft that's like ready to go out mm -hmm. and then you start over and it's all messy and it's because like you haven't figured them out yet like yeah. you're still you're still figuring out your people it usually takes me to the end of the book before I can figure out a beginning to be honest <laughs> so. exactly and then it's like if that's the case which I'm sure it is for many authors then you do have to go back and be like now after having finished this first the second draft I, I really do feel like I have a good sense of who each of these characters are but then you have to go back and revise so that their voice is really shining through and the dialogue feels genuine and and natural um and doesn't feel stilted or or what have you um so that is often like a little like flag or indicator that I have in my brain with like it doesn't feel like this author knows who their characters are yet and therefore the voice doesn't feel genuine and perhaps does feel a little stilted or disjointed. So again, and sometimes I will actually tell that author, like, I really like this concept, um, you know, and maybe provide a little bit more feedback. And I'll ask them, like, you know, please, like, share, you know, please keep trying me. Because obviously, like, 
there was something about their writing or the way just like their brain works and like the stories that they're they're coming up with that I that I did resonate with Mm -hmm. um it just meant like this one isn't the one that we're gonna kind of match up on so okay that's super fair and that all makes a lot of sense (laughs) yeah because sometimes I just say things and (laughs) no no it all makes so much sense writing is so weird right talking about stuff like this it's so interesting because I like I love getting writing advice and like reading writing advice and stuff and then when you think about giving it I'm just like wait a minute I'm trying to talk about this very broad yeah thing and it's hard to think about with examples like with specific Mm -hmm. concrete here's what I'm trying to show you examples and it's even harder without it's hard to articulate sometimes Mm -hmm. and I think I know I personally at least I feel like I get better with that which is more experience because you do see like things like trends and things pop up um but so you kind of have like your go-to phrases for how to like articulate something but um I agree. Sometimes I'm like, did anything I just say make any no, tangible sense at all? No, it all makes perfect sense. And honestly, like I said, <laughs> and those are weird questions too, because I'm like, some people never want to talk about these. We're all at different levels and there's nothing wrong with being a newer writer. Like you have to start somewhere. Like you cannot get better if mm-hmm. like, I mean, there's nothing to improve on if you don't start crappy. Does that make sense? No, exactly. Exactly. I agree. Yeah, we all have to start somewhere and there's nothing wrong with improving and learning and not knowing something yet. So Mm -hmm. exactly. I remember the first time I decided to write a book. I don't think I've got this in the podcast yet. The first time I sat down to write a book, I was like, I'm gonna write a book. I had just gotten off of a Hunger Games trilogy kick, and I was was (laughs) as we all do. Yes, and I got my notebook and I got my pen, and I was just like, I'm gonna write a first chapter. And I finished my chapter, and I was like, cool. And I flipped back to the beginning of my notebook, and I read it, and I got to the end, and I was like, wow, that was so bad. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, you need to learn how to write before you can write a book and then I started learning craft stuff so yeah but like you said we all start somewhere yeah Yeah. (laughs) so okay you want to jump into some wish list stuff yeah so you have a ridiculously thorough and I mean that in the best sense wish list so I don't want to make you like rehash everything on here do you want to do like a broad overview of like the categories that you take for everyone yeah for sure I um you know and I think it's always I think it's honestly going to change throughout my career but like I said I am actively building my list um one of the deep surprises when I started agenting was just like I've always loved middle grade and like in film and tv I've always loved um children's film like family films like when I just I actually just rewatched like the how to train your dragon series which I am obsessed with and will like sit there and like sob over like as and be like yeah like go you know (laughs) like I get like super into it um so I've I've always been like a kid at heart to some extent so I guess I shouldn't have been surprised but it's just not what I thought I would rep going into agenting um and then I was reading a lot of like Holly's middle grades and like when I started working for her and like falling back in love with children's books and all that to say I do rep middle grade (laughs) um you got the middle grade love I love that yes it's just (laughs) I'm I just love middle grade so much um and I would say right now I feel like my list is, um, you know, middle grade and then I have my adult side and 
it's not quite 50-50 because I do rep YA, but I would say I tend to be, I, I mean, I'm selective, of course, because I think all agents are selective, but like with my YA, I just tend to like have be even more selective. And I think part of that is um, because I grew up in the like Hunger Games, Twilight era, like divergent era of YA. So perhaps it's because of that, but I really like like high octane, big emotions, big stakes, like that cinematic kind of scope. And you know, I just, so I have a very like specific kind of thing I'm looking for in the YA space. Um, and then, so I would say a little bit more selective in that space. Um, you know, in the coming years, I would like to build out my YA list more though. Um, so, you know, that's something that I'm particularly hungry for is more of that, like high, high stakes, big, you know, YA stories. High stakes, high concept. Yeah, high concept. Um, I just love like big emotions um, and things that just kind of sweep me up. But you need to have that like high concept elevator pitch that I think makes it easier to sell, not just to editors, but to, you know, the marketing and sales team, the, the readers who are eventually going to pick it up where they can kind of be like, oh, it's X meets Y, it, you know, meets Z or whatever, <laughs> you know, like it's very like easy to pitch. Um, because the YA market, for, for better or worse, has, you know, been very saturated over the last like 10 years or so. And so I feel like I just need that both as a reader and as an agent. Yeah, so I'm pretty, you know, I, I don't do a ton. I, I do do picture books and graphic novels with some gra- uh, author illustrators, but it's not like a huge part of my list. And just to be like fully transparent, I tend to more follow my existing clients into that direction so if I sign someone for like a middle grade book or like another genre and then or category and then they're like by the way I want to write picture books then I'm like okay let's like talk about that but I don't I don't actively sign that as much just you know again to be transparent so if I am signing someone for a picture book, it's usually because I know that they're also working on like a middle grade fantasy or, or something else and that that'll be coming up down the pipeline too. And that this is just like a, a part of their business. Um, if you want to do picture books, my, my colleague Molly O'Neill is like, that is much more like her bread and butter than it is mine. <laughs> but I, um, I do dabble. Um, <laughs> so, but yeah, I, you know, something that I'm really hungry for besides the YA books I've been talking about already is just more, um, adult projects that kind of straddle that upmarket commercial fiction line. Um, and then something that I'm always looking for is middle grade genre, um, especially fantasy. And in terms of writing style, do your tastes lean more literary or commercial? I would say my taste is a little bit more literary than some of my colleagues, um, perhaps probably Molly who does <laughs> do okay. more. But with that said, I think this is something my agency specializes in and something that's informed my agenting style is that what I really look for is like a commercial concept with that like literary execution. It's funny because I actually had written down about concept wise as far as asking about literary, but hearing you talk, I was like, okay, no, this sounds definitely more commercial leaning. Yeah, conceptually, I'm looking for something that's a little bit more commercial, but I I like, I mean, when you know, I mentioned prep earlier by Curtis Sittenfeld and like, I love 
beautiful prose. I love reading, like when I am reading a, a manuscript that I've requested and I'm just like sitting there highlighting every other sentence because they're just so quotable mm-hmm. and beautiful and just... Or like rereading because you just yeah. want to hear it in your head again. Yeah. yeah, or like I can already imagine that being like a quote that like, you know, the readers are like obsessed with or whatever. Like I, on a line level, I do love beautiful writing and so I think I you know I do tend to need like that commercial concept that I latch on to but you know and I've talked about this with Holly too because when I started out it was like she was like oh, I think your taste is more literary and than you perhaps maybe think it is <laughs> so, <laughs> so um and I think that's a lot of times what agents and editors mean to some extent by up market too is like that that execution that feels a little bit more elevated and stuff too but has that but has that highly pitchable kind of concept that we can you know hinge all of our our marketing and publicity on so yeah and that doesn't mean that you know I I I do rep some literary fiction that is, you know, I have to work a little bit harder to find that angle that's going to give it that that pitch um, for me. But I, it's just not like the bulk of my list. Um, so, okay. yeah. Are there any genres within YA especially that you're not the right fit for? I do think I am genre eclectic. Um, and I want to see everything because I have massive FOMO. Um, <laughs> but, but um, you know, I tend, like, I do tend to go less for contemporary realistic stories. I love them as a reader. Like, I find them very beautiful. But I do just find it harder to break them out in the marketplace Um, And I do think that sometimes they don't have that clear hook that I feel like I need to really do a good job on my end of things. Um, And then on a just like, I guess, bigger picture standpoint, I do think that like my YA taste tends to be that escapism from the real world. Like I'm not as good, I think, as an agent with um, stuff that is, you know, like a, a school, like just a contemporary, like school setting. Um, but I mean, with that said, I mean, one of the first projects that I think I, before I was an agent that I worked on with Taylor was um, Elise Bryant's Happily Ever Afters, who's a, you know, was based in Long Beach. And I, my mom grew up in Long Beach. I was living in Long Beach at the time. I love Elise's writing, but Elise writes like rom-coms. So even though they are in that kind of like school landscape, like mm-hmm. high school dramas and stuff like that, they they still in that sense do provide that escapism because you're just like laughing and you're you love these people and the emotions just get to you and like it's a love story. And so yeah. and you know, I am I'm I'm looking for rom coms too, but it's just not a huge part of my list. It's you okay. know, a lot of my colleagues do that a little bit more than I do. Okay. Yeah, like I would say probably, you know, Taylor's quite well known for rom-coms, of course. Um, And I know my colleague Sam Fabian is probably looking for those. Um, She works more in the romance space than I do. I love a good romance (laughs) B-plot. But I don't work as much in the the traditional romance space. Yeah, and I saw that in your adult section as well Mm -hmm. on your wish list. Okay, I'm more like women's fiction with romance than I am like pure romance. So Okay, okay. Yeah. Any genre, any category, whatever you feel like sharing, you can do one thing, you can do however many you like, but what are you especially hungry for right now? Mm, this is a good question. I do think, I mean, especially in YA and adult, I love 
a love story where there's some kind of obstacle like in between our love interests, um, like keeping them apart. So we feel that like push and pull, that tension as a reader, um, like that will they, won't mm. they. <laughs> so I think um, like I did just sign a Latinx YA fantasy, for instance, that's very much like kind of like a forbidden, like slightly tragic love story. And I think that, fit, you know, the forbidden love fits quite nicely into that like you know, obstacle mm-hmm. getting in between our love interests. Um, so that's something that, you know, particularly in the SFF space that I really love. Um, I feel like it just like heightens all the emotions and feelings and, you know, all of the stakes. Yes. And then I also would say friendship stories, but I, but particularly growing pains in friendship stories, not just like, I mean, friendship stories are great, but like particularly like those like, over time, like the friendship breakups, like just like the growing pains that happen with those kind of close relationships. And I don't know, maybe it's just because of like COVID and the last few years of being really isolated (laughs) from friends and like, you know, but I think also like I'm in my thirties and I think it's really hard to both retain and make new friends. It's something that I'm always looking for, but I think it's something that readers are always looking for too, is like, those friendship growing pains and breakups are almost harder to deal with romantic ones because it doesn't feel like it should be happening. And yet you like, you should just be friends forever. But the reality is, is that we like grow and change as we grow up. Um, and so that's something that I'm, you know, looking for in particular. So I think I might have a line in my online wish list somewhere about like, even like toxic friendships. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think you do that. Yeah, and that interests me in particular too because I think it's like like it can feel benign, but it's but then it's like just I don't know, like the some of the internal conflicts that are like causing characters to project in that way. Um I just find it really fascinating. Um and what else do I have on my like more specific thing? I mean, I think that non-Western stories I'm particularly interested in. I just, I've always been really interested in like the different facets of another culture or that culture's history. And so I like uh, the the YA fantasy that I just signed recently that I told you about earlier is like, it's it's um, kind of inspired by like Incan mummies. Oh, um, cool. That, yeah, like it, it's not about mummies, but like it's in, but like it's inspired by this one particular sun virgin mummy and in, in the Inca culture um, and kind of rewriting her story. Um, and I, so when I was like reading that in the author's query letter before I signed her, I was just like, really having a lot of fun going down that like research wormhole and being like who like who is this mummy like what's her story like like you know like mummies are very different in like Peru and the Incan empire than they were in say Egypt and so I just like I've always just like as a human been really into like doing that kind of fun deep dive research so I think as an agent it's particular fun when I can have that be a part of like my day job And then, yeah, I mean, the only other thing I can think of is just, like, immersive settings. I think something transportive. It doesn't really matter where, though, honestly. (laughs) Like, I'm I'm not particularly big on Hollywood settings with the exception of maybe Evelyn Hugo. (laughs) I don't know if it's because I grew up in Southern California, so it just doesn't, like, do it for me or what it is. But I, I find that, by and large, I'm not super drawn to, like, the 
rock star kind of actress, like Hollywood world. Um, so I guess that's like a, it's not quite an anti-wish list because of course there's like, I loved Evelyn Hugo. There's always an exception. Yes, there are always exceptions, but I would say like by and large, you know, I might have other colleagues who are a better fit for that. Okay. Would you like to share anything about any upcoming client books or recently released? Yeah, I would say um, the two that came to mind as far as, yeah, upcoming books is um, one of my clients, Lakita Wilson, has a book called, a middle grade uh, called Sparkle coming out in October. And it's, um, it's her sophomore middle grade release. And it's about a 12 year old aspiring like superstar who's been diagnosed with alopecia. Um, And I'm particularly excited about this because because of like, I don't think there's a lot of books out there as far as I know. And it's something that a lot of people grapple with. Um, and so I'm just excited to give like more visibility to that rep. And, you know, the main characters under a lot of pressure, um, which I think this is something Lakita does really well is like these real world kind of uh, like the main characters under a lot of pressure to like help the family stay afloat financially. Um, so it's kind of, it's, she's not quite like a child star or something, but I think a lot of like child influencers and stuff probably do grapple with this in real life and like the expectations that their income is actually really helping their families. Mm -hmm. Um, and she's just at the same time, like has a highly visible role and is losing her hair and trying to like grapple with that and keep it all together while she's on her hair loss journey. And so there's a lot of like, you know, the external conflicts, but the internal struggle of what she's going with and kind of coming to terms with it and, and learning that self-acceptance. Um, and I think, you know, Lakita, I've, I just, she's an author in particular whose voice I connected with from like day one. I think she writes with so much heart and she's also just really funny. Like, I don't know if she thinks she's funny, but like everybody is like, no, you're really funny. <laughs> like, um, so like, even when she's tackling tough subjects like in her first book Be Real Macy Beaver is a little bit about um you know the the mother and that story is going back to college and kind of in a sense like almost abandons her family in that process and then there's like a you know kind of like a divorce aspect that's going on in the background and despite that it still manages to be like fun and have that levity and um so she's really good at balancing I think both and that's probably something that readers will find in all of her work um, quite frankly. Um, so I'm really excited for that one. Um, and that's on the middle grade side. That sounds so good. Yeah, it's really good. Um, and there may or may not be like a Beyonce inspired kind of like character in it. (laughs) Yeah. Who is not actually named Beyonce, but is very much like inspired by Beyonce, um, which is really fun. Okay. Okay. And on the adult side, next summer, I have a book called, I hope this finds you well, uh, by Natalie Sue, and that one's coming out next summer. Um, and that one was such a fun. I actually rep Natalie with Taylor, um, and I believe, I think she did Pitch Wars, yeah. Um, the last year that Pitch Wars was a thing. Okay. Yeah, and I, I remember just like being like cracking up and laughing so hard by like page one when I first read that book which is quite hard to do like make someone laugh by like yeah like the first page it is yeah well and it's really hard for a full laugh too I mean like you can get the little like kind of chuckle but that's impressive okay yeah and I it was just like I I had requested it just for myself and 
I remember like Taylor heard you laughing in the corner and was like what is that <laughs> well so Taylor I know because I work closely with her that she often signs on voice and um honestly I was just laughing so hard and having so much fun with it that I was like Taylor like and I like I won't I'm not gonna say the phrase because it's gonna ruin the, the beginning but like I shared this one like little line from the beginning and she was like just also cracking up and I was like do you want to read this with me I think it would be really fun to work on together and so that's kind of why we ended up signing her oh that's cute our taste overlaps yeah <laughs> so um but it's also got a darker side like there's a little bit of a b plot with you know um something that happened in the background of our main character's life and her childhood and it's kind of it pops up and it's a lot of where her like trauma and kind of anxiety stem from in her adult life um so it's also one of those I feel like a lot of my books do that where they have like the hope and levity and humor but they also might have like some darker stuff going on too in the story those are some of my favorites where you have that balance yes me too um love a good romp of course but like for me I do I do the through line in a lot of my books that I rep do tend to be that um and this one is the main character Jolene is kind of like a little apathetic about her job like and keeps like her colleagues at arm's length um but she's been secretly adding passive aggressive like notes in her emails so what she'll do to keep them a secret is she'll like write something at the end like and like and like like per my last email or like what you know <laughs> she'll just say something kind of like passive aggressive and salty in her emails and then she'll <sighs> highlight the text and turn it white so it's hidden yeah and you can't see it right like unless you happen but it's there in all of them oh my god yeah but she knows it's there so like really messy and hilarious because like why Jolene why <laughs> but I love it so much that's amazing yeah but she gets caught in the beginning of the book for doing this and when she's caught there's you know the HR guy kind of puts some security restrictions on her computer and through this like IT mix-up she instead of her email being kind of monitored and restricted she's actually given access to all of her colleagues emails oh. so she can see everything and she finds yeah. out like what people are saying about each other like what they're doing when they should be working like she she you know there's impending layoffs that she gets like kind of a head start not like she gets you know the knowledge a bit sooner on that and so as a reader we get to watch Jolene like use this information in increasingly awkward and cringe inducing situations yes. <laughs> and, it's, and it's just like one of those books that where you're like why oh my god no no don't do that why <laughs> Like, it's so, it's also what makes for a great book, and it's really entertaining, and there's, like, a little bit of, like, a love story there. It's not, it's not a romance, but there is a little bit of a, you know, romance in there, um, and I think we pitched it as, like, The Office meets um, Eleanor is, Eleanor Elephant is completely fine. Oh, cool. Because it is a lot of the setting is, you know, in the office. Um, so yeah, the, I mean, I could just go on and on and on, but like those would be like, yeah, two of the upcoming books. Those both sound awesome. Oh, thank you. Um, and yeah, one of my, I'll just plug, um, one of my clients, MT Khan writes, she wrote Nura and the Immortal Palace. It's, it's the first book of a duology right now. And it, um, I think a couple months ago or maybe last month and what is time? I can't remember. It won, um, the Waterstones Children Book Prize in the UK for the younger readers category. So I'm really proud of her. I think I actually saw that. I know the book you're talking about and the author you're yes. talking about. Um, but no, I think I actually saw the 
the Waterstones Award thing on Twitter, an announcement yes. about that. Yeah. 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 Because the book was published, yeah, here in the US and then in the UK simultaneously. So it's really interesting to see how books just like take off in different territories and what have you. But yeah, I'm really proud of that book. It was one of the first middle grade books that I sold. Um, and Maida is just incredibly talented. And it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a portal fantasy, but it's also a book that really shines a spotlight in ch- child labor in other countries. And I think, so for young readers, I think it's a really good read because it gives that, you know, fantastical kind of escapism. Um, and if you like Jens and like Studio Ghibli movies, especially Spirited Away, you'll really like that book. Cool. But then it's also like a good way to talk to kids about, you know, our privilege, depending on what countries we live in. And the reality is that, you know, there are some children that have to go off and work really young at a really young age to help you know, support and provide financially for their families. So I think it's a great, it's a, I mean, I love the book. I'm obviously biased, but I just think it does a really good job of like allowing parents and teachers and, you know, librarians and all all, just adults to have those harder conversations with children. So that sounds, I need to read that. I really need to read that. (laughs) I don't do a ton of middle grade. I usually stick to like my YA space. Mm -hmm. It's a really fast read too, which is, One of the benefits of, you know, middle grade, like I would say you could probably read, like if you're like a relatively quick reader, you could probably read that book in like four to five hours. I, I'm so sorry, everybody. It's another dang episode where I mentioned audiobooks. Um, (laughs) Audiobook everything. So I'm usually at the mercy of my audiobook Mm. narrator these days in terms of speed. But yeah, I've been, I've been hearing so many good middle grade stuff recently I really need to get on the middle grade train I'm so excited you could always try immersive reading which is where you do I mean it does mean you have to buy both editions of the book but um which is obviously not in everybody's budget but I've heard that it works for some people where they read like the print or the ebook while they listen to the audio edition and kind of like sync it up. Ooh, that's interesting. Yeah. And maybe it's just because like our attention culture, you know, and I think it ha- it help depending on like if you have certain, like if you're neurodivergent, I think it perhaps can help you there too, but just like really focusing on mm-hmm. the text, right? And so I know a lot of people that really like um, that immersive reading experience where you're both reading while being read to. Of course, you have to like get the pace right, right? The speed of reading, right? <laughs> but, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's there as an option. Okay, I might check that out too. That's interesting. Okay, do you want to tell everyone where we can find you? Yeah, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Well Mel's Bells. So cute. It's just this. <laughs> it's like an inside joke that maybe only I think is funny, but I uh, I love it. <laughs> um. Yeah, and I um, also it's really hard to get a handle that's actually your full name. It is. <laughs> What's your? Yeah, but I've, I'll probably just I honestly have had that handle for a long time, and I'll you know you can find me both on Twitter and Instagram there. Um, I try to keep my both of those channels both like a mix of like personal and professional um, and website I mean our agency like submission guidelines are on rootliterary.com but I also have my personal website melaniefigueroa.com um where I try and honestly by the time this this episode comes out I might I'm I've been working on trying to refresh my wish list a little bit um so it probably hopefully will be updated by then um and 
I try to keep it, you know, pretty up to date there on my website. Okay. Thank you. And I'm so sorry. <laughs> of I course. took up your whole Sunday. No, you're all good. It was so nice being here. Oh, yay. It was so nice having you. Thank you. Okay, everyone. Bye. Bye. Thanks, everybody. <laughs> Okay, everyone, that's it for episode 18. You can find the content list and all the Melanie links in the show notes page of my website, linked below. Thanks so much for joining us. Okay, Jenny, say goodbye.